By the way, my name is Brent, and I'm the lead pastor here, so good to see you guys. And um, again, I want to reiterate, there's a baptism uh, this evening, a pool party and baptism there at uh, the community center. So if you're here and you need to get baptized, and uh, maybe you've never been baptized before, and you're wondering if you want, if you should be baptized, I would love to talk to you afterwards. So even if you haven't talked to me yet or, or, any, or anybody else yet, you can talk to me after the service if you want to get baptized, and uh, we will dunk you this evening. So, uh, the book of Galatians. So we're in a series in, in the book of Galatians, and um, I want to just kind of review for some of you who weren't here last week. So uh, the book of Galatians is a book about the gospel. It's a book that brings us face-to-face with the most basic Christian message called the gospel, the message of God's grace. And what we said last week is what's interesting about the book, it's so easy to overlook, is it's a book about the gospel written to people who already say they believe the gospel. Right, typically we think the gospel is for those people that are outside the church. Here's a book all about the gospel written to people who already believe it. What does that mean? It means that all of us need to hear the gospel over and over and over again. And so the book of Galatians preaches to us, explains to us, distills for us the essential message of God's grace, which is the gospel. And the situation, uh, just in review, is that Paul had planted the church in Galatia, and then Paul left And in Paul's wake, some Jewish teachers came in and they said, Paul's message of grace, Paul's gospel was good, wasn't it? Yeah, it was really good. In fact, it was too good to be true. You can't be accepted by God by doing nothing. If you want to be sons and daughters of Abraham, you've got to do what the sons and daughters of Abraham have always done. You've got to be circumcised, ouch, and you need to keep the Mosaic legislation. You've got to become Jewish if you want God to accept you. And so Paul writes the letter to refute these other teachers and to anchor these people in the free gospel of grace. You're accepted by God based upon faith plus nothing. Free grace. Now, at the very beginning here, what I want to do is I want to draw your attention to the claim that Paul makes. Because here Paul, in in saying, look, I, I want you to believe my gospel and not their gospel. What he's doing here is he's making a claim, isn't he? And here's what he's saying. He's saying, my gospel, he's saying his gospel is the gospel. Paul is, in other words, Paul is saying that his gospel trumps every other version of the gospel. He's saying that his version of the good news alone is the good news. Or in other words, he's saying that his gospel is, is the norm by which every other gospel should be judged. In other words, what Paul is saying is that my gospel is the right one. My gospel is the truth, capital T. Now, if you're listening, you might be saying, what gives Paul the right to say that his gospel trumps every other version? You know, here, there there are two teachers out there, and Paul is saying, believe me, not them. I've got the truth, and they don't. You might be saying, what gives Paul the right to say his gospel is the right one? And isn't this what makes people really irritated at the Christian faith, right? I mean, this is, kind of, this is the exclusive claim, isn't it? That Christianity, that Paul the Apostle claims that he's got the right version of the gospel. And people, they often hear this and they say, well, this is so arrogant. Uh, this, uh, in fact, it's, it's, it's almost, uh, it's almost uh, it can be violent, you know, this radical message that you alone have the truth. Extremists and terrorists. Uh, come out of this exclusive type of message. And for a lot of people, this is why they don't like Paul. He sounds so exclusive. He sounds so narrow-minded. 
In fact, when I was in uh, divinity school, I had a friend who, uh, I remember sitting him with, with one day in the, in the lunchroom across from the table, and he said, Brent, um, to be honest with you, we were taking a Paul class together. He said, to be honest with you, I don't really like Paul. He said, I really like Jesus, like Jesus with l- his love and his inclusion and his, he's accepting everybody. I like Jesus, I don't like Paul. <laughs> he said, Paul, he was so exclusive, he was so narrow, he claimed that his gospel was the right one. And so here's the question, why should, why should we believe Christianity? Why should we believe that Paul's version is the only version? It's a very relevant question. And there might be some of you in this room this morning who are wondering the same thing. I mean, why should we believe that Christianity is right? What gives Paul the right to say that his is the only gospel and that his alone is good news? That's what we're going to look at this morning. And what Paul does here is he's going to say, this is why you should believe me. In verses 11 through 23, Paul says, here's why you should believe that my gospel is the right gospel. And the way he's going to show us is by telling us his story. He says, he says, here's why you should believe me, and then he goes and he tells us his autobiography, and this is an amazing little section of scripture. Nowhere where else do we have such an in-depth picture of Paul's story of how he came to faith in Jesus. But Paul tells his story for a reason. He's, he's telling his story to show them why they should accept his gospel. And as we go through it, I, I want to point out three things. Paul says you should accept my gospel because of the origin of the gospel, because of the irony of the gospel, and because of the beauty of the gospel. Why should you accept my way is true? Because of the origin, the irony, and the beauty of my gospel. Three things. And so let's look at the first one. He's going to talk about the origin of his gospel. In verse 11, Paul says this. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached to me is not man's gospel. Verse 12, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. We'll stop there. So Paul says, why should you believe that my gospel is the right gospel? Why should you believe that my good news is the only good news? Because my gospel is not my gospel, and my truth is not my truth, and my good news, it's really not my good news. The message that I bring to you is not my opinion, he says, but it comes directly from God. And that's what Paul's trying to prove here as he tells his whole story as uh, Danny James read for us. The whole reason why he says, it tells the story about how he was on the way to persecute Christians and as, you know, God, you know, Christ appeared to him and turned him around and, and how he didn't immediately go to confer with the other apostles is he's trying to show us that the gospel message that he received, it's not his invention. It, it didn't come out of uh, the brilliance of Paul's mind. It didn't come out of his furtive imagination. He says, my gospel came directly to me from God. Uh, in history class, when I was an undergraduate, I remember I took a lot of early Christianity classes. And, you know, Christianity is ama- an amazing religion. I mean, it changed, it changed the world. And we base our history, I mean, we based our, um, our whole dating system on Jesus, Right? And hospitals and, and social change and all sorts of things uh, came out of uh, Christianity. And so the historians were asking, where did the gospel come from? Who invented this message? Was it Paul? Was it his brilliant mind? Was it a conglomeration of ideas that came together? And what Paul is saying is that my gospel didn't come from me, it didn't come from anybody else, but I got it directly from God. The origin of my gospel 
is divine revelation, he says. Notice he says, I, I wasn't taught it, but in verse 12, I received it from divine revelation. Now, the word revelation there is the Greek word apocalypsis. And for many of us, this sounds familiar, right? It's, it's where we get our word apocalypse. And literally, the, the word means unveiling. And so what Paul says, the message of the gospel is that which was previously hidden that was revealed to me by a revelation from God. I wasn't taught it. The origin of my gospel is divine. Now, so there, there's a lot of good things uh, why... Th- there's a lot of good things that come out of this idea that the origin of our gospel is divine. Number one, this means that because, because it comes from God, it is objective and not subjective. Right, what Paul is saying is that my message, it's not, doesn't come out of my subjective experience. It does, it's not my opinion, it doesn't come out of my subjective ideas. It is hard, crunchy, objective, divine truth that's outside of me. Uh, I'm not old enough to remember the 1964 presidential election. Maybe some of you are. But uh, Barry Goldwater was the, pres- was the Republican nominee. And I rem- there was this, I'm not, I don't remember, but I was told his slogan was, in your heart, you know he's right. Anybody remember that? Well, apparently the, the, he was a Republican and the Democrats came up with their own slogan that said, uh, you know, in your heart, you know he's right. They had their own sign that said, in your guts, you know he's nuts. <laughs> it's your opinion. And what Paul says is the gospel is not my subjective opinion or anybody else's subjective opinion. This is a message that comes directly from God. Paul says, I don't go into the world as an inventor with this message that I came up with, I go into the world as a herald with good news that came to me from the outside. It's hard, objective, divine revelation. But it also means that it doesn't change. You know, because uh, the origin is in God, the gospel doesn't change. Uh, It's the same yesterday, today, and, and really forever. We can be sure that the gospel, because it came from God and not some human-made-up invention, that it is a truth that doesn't ever change. God is never going to change his opinion about grace. He's never going to take it back. And this comforts me because, you know, when I'm up here preaching, I'm not up here giving you my ideas, my uh, my inventions, or my opinions, because they change. They could change from week to week. What I'm trying to do as I'm preaching is relaying to you an objective, unchangeable message. Paul says the origin is God, it's not me. That's why you should listen to me. And also this gives it it authority. You know, when I'm up here, I'm also not giving you my opinion. My opinions don't have authority. Somebody called me uh, yesterday and said, Brent, can I get your opinion on this? And I said, take it with a grain of salt. And I gave my opinion. And he, he could have taken it or leave in my, left my opinion because it was my idea, it was my thoughts. But Paul says the gospel's not my thoughts. It's got authority to it. It's not take it with a grain of salt. I'm relaying to you an objective, authoritative, powerful reality. In fact, Paul says if anybody else, even an angel from heaven, preaches to you a different gospel, get rid of him. In another place, Paul, later on in chapter two, Paul will go to Peter and, he, and Peter is, uh, he's being racist, which is another story we'll get to it soon. And Paul confronts Peter and says, you're not walking in step with the gospel, the authoritative message. 
You see, because the gospel has a divine origin, it's not my opinion or your opinion or somebody's great idea, it can be the norm by which all other gospels are judged. It's on the outside, it's above us. And so Paul says, this is the first reason why you should listen to me is because my gospel is not my opinion. It is divine apocalypsis, divine revelation. And therefore, it doesn't change, and it's not subjective. It is hard, unchangeable, authoritative reality. Okay, but second, Paul goes on and says, here's another reason why you should listen to me. Because of the irony of the gospel. Not only because of the origin of the gospel, but secondly, because of the irony of the gospel. Because a lot of people say this. They say, okay, um, what Paul just said there has the power to make somebody incredibly arrogant. You know, to say that you've got the truth, that it comes, came directly from God, that it's the right one, and everything else is wrong, that has the power to make people incredibly arrogant and incredibly uh, judgmental and even, you know, maybe even exclusive and violent. And it's true. There are a lot of people in the name of exclusive religion who've been very arrogant and very violent, you know, Islamic terrorists, things like that, who become very exclusive and use their religion to manipulate. I mean, it, it is true that an exclusive truth claim that we say comes from God can make us very arrogant and exclusive and mean. You've all seen it. Maybe you've been it, like I have. But here's the irony, that this exclusive message that Paul said came to him from the outside from God didn't make him more arrogant, it didn't make him more exclusive or even violent, it made him humble, inclusive and loving notice the story paul says he says well look what happened to me i I got this message and notice what it did to me he said first of all it humbled me he said i was i was on my way here's the story i was on my way to persecute christians to get rid of them Um, i had the truth and i thought everybody else was wrong and i was going to stomp out the christian message But then on the way to persecute Christians, God confronted me. Jesus appeared to me on the road to Damascus. And what did Jesus tell Paul? He said, Paul, you're wrong. (laughs) Hard words to hear. You're wrong. And when Paul received this divine revelation, it humbled him. Why? Because what did it tell Paul? It said, Paul, you're no better than anybody else. Here's the gospel. Paul, your Judaism and your ethnicity and your Torah observance doesn't make you superior. In fact, Paul, you're a sinner like everybody else. There is no difference between the the furthest Gentile and you, the most observant Jew. All of us are sinners. Jew and Gentile are are on level playing field, and this humbled Paul. In fact, after... um, Paul's name before he became a Christian was named, what was his name? Anybody remember? Saul. And after Paul became a Christian, what was his name? Paul. The word Paul means small. And as a short man, I find that very um, encouraging. (laughs) Paul says that that the gospel actually lowered me. It humbled me. Because on the road to Damascus, this exclusive claim came to Paul and said, Paul, you need to be rescued. It's not just the Gentiles. It's not just dirty people out there. Paul, you're a sinner, and you are, you're broken. And I died for you, and you need to be saved. And Paul, it humbled him, and it broke him. That's what this exclusive claim did to Paul. Uh, in California, I went surfing, 
and it had been probably eight years since I was surf- went surfing. And I realized how hard surfing is. And, you know, it takes muscles that I didn't know I had, and so I paddled out there, and I just got pummeled by the waves. And at one point, I, I started thinking, I, I'm, I, I always used to make fun of people that couldn't surf out there. And here I was, one of those posers. And at one point, I actually thought I needed to be rescued by a lifeguard. I was in a rip current, <laughs> and I thought, this is so embarrassing. There's no way, and, and happily, I made it to the shore, and I didn't go out again after that. <laughs> but it's humbling to, to realize that you need to be rescued. And the exclusive divine message from God, it doesn't make you arrogant. If, if you're really listening to what God says, it should humble you. I'm no better. I need help just like everybody else. And my ethnicity and my observance, none of that makes me better. I'm, I need to be rescued. But notice it also made Paul not more exclusive, but more inclusive. Because what did the message say? It said, Paul, it's not just the Jews that can be saved. It's everybody that can be saved. The exclusive message said that anybody can be included. Jew, Gentile, slave, free, male or female, it doesn't matter. Every single person could be a son or daughter of God. And when Paul received that message, notice it says Paul went out to Arabia. Now why did Paul go to Arabia? Some people think it was because Paul needed to go and sort of meditate on what, the, what Jesus told him. But F.F. Bruce, one scholar, says that Paul went to Arabia because Arabia was a Gentile territory. And that Paul, as soon as he heard the message that anybody could come in, the furthest pagan, the Gentile, where did he go? He went to where all the Gentiles were. And he started proclaiming that anybody, anybody, it does not matter who you are, you could come in. His exclusive message made him more inclusive. And notice it didn't make him violent. Before he got the message, he was violent. But as soon as he realized that he was saved by grace and that this was the way of salvation, it actually made Paul a man of peace, a man who wanted to build bridges and reach out and, and love others, all others, everybody. So this is the irony of the exclusive message of the gospel. This is why you should believe it. I mean, not only does it come from God, but even, even though it's exclusive, it, it's, it's a message that when you listen to it actually makes you more inclusive and more humble and more broken, and more loving if you're really listening to what it's saying. One of the best examples of this is uh, with the Amish community. Um, Some of you will remember that way back in 2006, it was 11 years ago, a shooter uh, went into uh, an Amish uh, school there in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. He he barricaded himself in a a one-room schoolhouse with a bunch of small Amish school children. Remember this? And he proceeded to shoot randomly at children. He killed five kids and then wounded five others. And what was so amazing is what happened, what the Amish did um, in, in the wake of the devastation. They didn't get angry. They didn't seek his, the man's execution. The man actually killed himself, so they couldn't do that. But they weren't angry. In fact, they made news headlines by embracing the family of the killer. Forty Amish showed up to the man's funeral, and at the funeral, one of the Amish fathers of a slain child went up to, to, the, to the shooter's mom and embraced her. 
And I was uh, reading a little NPR um, news report where they were talking about this, and they were interviewing the, the mother of the shooter. Her name was Terry. And this is what she said. She said, I will never forget the devastation caused by my son. It says 65-year-old Terry. But we are, but one of the fathers the other night, he said, none of us would have ever chosen this, but the relationships that we have built through it, you can't put a price on that. And their choice to allow life to move forward, she says, was quite a healing bomb for us. And then she says this, and I think it's a message that the world needs to hear. What message? Well, what do the Amish believe? I mean, what centrally do the Amish believe? Well, they believe in the revelation. They believe in the revelation that God reveals himself in a man dying on the cross. God reveals himself in Jesus who said, Father, forgive them. God reveals himself that says, every single one of us are sinners. And we should offer forgiveness to everybody and accept everybody because of what Jesus has done. And the Amish took this message and what did it do? It's exclusive, it comes directly from God, but it made them humble and forgiving and peaceful. The irony of the exclusive message is that it, it should do these wonderful things in a person's life who actually believes it. So Paul says, why should you believe me? He says, number one, my message comes from God. It's not my opinion. But second of all, the message, ironically, it creates humility in anyone who believes it. I know it's exclusive. I know it's narrow. But if you understand what it's saying, it actually makes a person humble and inclusive rather than exclusive and violent. But then finally, I want you to see the beauty of the gospel because this is the final reason Paul gives us to why we should believe it. He says, the message that I got was beautiful. Now notice what, how he ends the passage. I love the last couple of verses, verse 23. He's talking about the Christians who um, received him after he had already converted and he said, they were hearing it said that he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy and they glorified God because of me. Now, when you look at this story, I think at the end of the day, what Paul is saying is that God took a very broken man. Because of the gospel, God took a very violent and broken man, and he did something beautiful in my life. And it was so beautiful that, that the people, when they saw me coming down the road, who used to run away when they saw me coming, who used to, you know, be scared when they saw me coming, now when they saw me coming, they glorified God in me. He said, why should you believe the gospel? He says, well, it's a message from God, and look, it humbled me. <laughs> it made me more humble. But finally, look what it did in my life. It did something incredibly powerful and beautiful in me. Because the gospel message is, is not anybody's opinion. It's a message from God. It's a word from God. And God's speech always creates beauty. God's word has power to it. And just like in the beginning, God said, let there be light, and boom, there was light. God didn't say, let there be light, and then he went and created light. He said, let there be light, and his word created the reality. God's word creates and recreates beautiful things. And Paul says, this is, this is not my opinion. Some of my opinions are good, some are bad. But he says, this is divine word. This is a message that originated from, in God himself. And God's word always creates beautiful things. 
And Paul says that God can do it in your life. God could make you into such a beautiful person that when people look at you, they glorify him because of what he's done. Last night, my, I was talking to my son, and, and my son just out of nowhere says, Dad, do, does everybody do bad things? And I said, yeah, the, we're all sinners. Everybody does bad things. And then he said, Dad, I know that I do bad things. He'd had a really bad day. <laughs> and then he asked me this, Dad, do you do bad things? I thought, he's getting personal here. And I said, yeah, Daddy does bad things sometimes, too. And he said, Dad, tell me about one of them. (laughs) So I said, the other day I socked Pastor Lucas in the face. No, I didn't say that. I didn't tell him anything. (laughs) But I, I said, yeah, Daddy sometimes does bad things, and that is the understatement of the century. The fact of the matter is, Daddy's more sinful than Daddy even knows. But here's the power of the gospel. The gospel takes deeply broken and sinful people and changes us into something beautiful. So beautiful, in fact, that when people look at us, hey, we're not the way that we should be yet, completely, but people can look at us and they glorify God in us because he's the one who did the work. There's a little quote in your bulletin. I'm gonna end with this. This is from Philip Ryken. He says this, Not surprisingly, the religions that human beings invent always end up glorifying human beings. There is some law to keep, some teaching to follow, some ritual to perform, some penance to endure, some state of consciousness to achieve that will bring salvation. One way or another, we can climb up to heaven to reach God. Christianity is different. What distinguishes it from from other religions is that it comes from God. The one true gospel is not man-made, which is why it gives all glory to God. And so Paul says, this is why you ought to believe my gospel. It's not my gospel. I'm telling you, it is a divine message from God. It is a word from the outside. And let me tell you, God's word creates beautiful things. And he's creating that in me through his gospel, and he can create that in you. Now, this morning, we're going to take communion, and what communion is, is it's, it's another time where we get to rehearse the essential teaching of the gospel. And as we take communion, let's remind ourselves of the basic message, the basic, powerful, divine message, that we could be accepted by, by God based solely upon what he has done. And let's allow ourselves to be transformed by that truth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for um, your word that you give us here in Galatians, the origin of your gospel. It is such a powerful word. It humbles us and changes us. We pray, God, this morning as we come to your table, as we remind ourselves once again what it is that you've done for us, we pray that you would change us here on the spot. God, I pray that we would walk away from here not just more religious but more humble and broken. God, that we would walk away from here knowing that we are sinners, no better than anybody else, but also knowing the free gift of righteousness, that although we are more sinful than we can even know, we are more accepted and loved in the gospel than we ever dared to hope. Father, this is good news that brings a radical change, and we pray that you would change us. In Jesus' name, amen.